are back with another episode of Underrated. How are you doing today, Bo? Hey, I'm doing good, Lefty. How are you doing? Oh, you know, it's officially winter up here in the Pacific Northwest. It's a little little chilly. A little chilly? Yeah. Little little, little chill, little breeze in the air, uh, you know, some, uh, some, some midterms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and politics aside, I mentioned it to you, uh, but despite it being winter, I finally feel represented in the Senate now. We have a oh, candidate yeah. that wears shorts year-round. Um, it really appeals to my Midwestern roots. Um, and, uh, you know, it's always shorts weather somewhere. Definitely. Definitely. Nothing better than a shorts and chin goatee. Yeah. Shorts and a sweatshirt year-round. Year-round attire in the Midwest. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's classic. That's classic. That's a classic look. Absolutely. Well, Bo, um, you know the big news this week relates to the World Cup. We're only 10 days away from the start of the tournament. Oh, um, man. I know. And you, and you know this week, the U.S. announced their roster a few days ago. There were a few surprises. Anything stand out to you? You know, I haven't gotten a uh, good look at this roster yet. Uh, how, how is it looking? You know, there are a few big surprises. There's a lot of, uh, among the soccer community, there, there are a few names that were left off that are uh, a bit surprising. Probably most notable are Zach Steffen, goalkeeper, and uh, Jordan Pifak. Mm-hmm. Pifak has been uh, having a very good season in the Bundesliga. Um, he appears to be in pretty good form. So it's pretty surprising that uh, he wasn't chosen for this roster over some players that, uh, you know, aren't in the best of form and haven't even historically performed that well. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I, I did hear about Haji Ryden, and I did hear about uh, Tim Ream, uh, Fulham's captain. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I haven't checked it out, uh, you know, uh, fully. Uh, Ricardo Pepe, what's the news on him? You know, it sounded like from what I read, um, he was pretty surprised not to have been chosen himself. No. Um, you know, okay. he hasn't, uh, it's up in the air how, what kind of form he's in at the moment. He, he has been performing pretty well. Um, there might be some unknown injury there that we're not familiar with. Sure, but, uh, sure. you know, people are pretty surprised that he's also not on that roster. Wow. Well, this is, uh, this is going to be a pretty exciting time, you know. Uh, it's, a, it's a great time, again, for uh, for soccer. It's a great time for, you know, uh, international soccer. And we've got some big stuff coming up, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it'll be a big tournament, you know. Have you have you followed any other national team roster reveals? I have not. I, I've, I've kept, uh, kept an eye here uh, on, on leading up to the World Cup, but uh, only on the uh, uh, U.S. team. Got it. The roster was announced today for another Group B member in England. Um, and while, you know, all rosters are debated endlessly, there was one very notable snub from this roster. It hits, a little, hit, hits a little closer to home as a Brentford fan. Uh-oh. Ivan Who is to- it? Ivan Tony was not, uh, oh, man. was not selected, despite being one of the top a goal stud. scorers among the, the, the most prolific scores over the past two seasons in uh, in all of the Premier League. So pretty Definitely. surprising stuff there, especially in light of, and I don't know if you've seen this, have you seen the recent news? Uh, there have been two national stories within two days in the in the UK um, kind of smearing Ivan Tony. No, no. Um, what's what, the, what, 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 what's yeah. the smear campaign against Tony? Yeah, so you know, I don't like to be conspiratorial, 
but at least one of these two <laughs> these two stories um i don't think can be read as anything other than someone trying to make sure that ivan tony doesn't get on this roster and oh it worked boy. right so the first story that came out i believe on saturday uh involved uh related to the fact that uh the football association in the uk has uh, in, in england has been investigating tony for something like nine months about allegations of of gambling on soccer years ago before he was even on brentford here we go betting on teams that he didn't play for so oh, man. Um, this just seems to be a recurring theme all you know globally that we keep hearing about and you know i just it's just nonsense to me right yeah yeah so it's, it's hard to say exactly um what what happened there um i believe that there have been so he, he came over to brentford from peterborough united and i believe that there have been some other gambling issues that happened there in the past so okay. it could have been a, a cultural thing with that club but uh you know i'm not embedded in, in the lower levels of english football sure. so it's hard to say but the, the wow. other story um, that, that really really got me because it seemed uh, just insane was about a, a, a something that happened a few months ago in which uh, Ivan Tony was fined, served a citation or whatnot for uh, driving. He was pulled over driving his SUV, um, and he, it was deemed to be a hazard, a safety issue to, to other people. Um, for two reasons one of which the windows were too tinted um maybe that could impair your visibility the other reason that it was a safety issue was that the number plate the license plate that he was given that he he was able to acquire Dang. for yeah <laughs> that he was able to acquire was not up to board it wasn't a proper number i don't know how that slipped that far you know yeah. i'm not i'm not I'm not sure how the motor vehicle departments and right, work. right. But how, like how, how did that? Uh, yeah, how did that? Uh, you know, slip through the cracks there, <laughs> all the way from you know the internal. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <a> yeah. system. <laughs> but but for this to come out days before this roster was announced, months after this happened, um, just kind of reeks of uh, you know someone trying to pull some strings. Sure, sure. Now, uh, obviously. Uh, he was Brentford's uh, best bet for an appearance on the on the roster. Obviously, um, you know I did see, you know uh, the the Newcastle uh, members who made it there, and obviously the essentially half the Man City team. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, any anybody stand out to you that you really like, um, and uh, you know you you've been following this year on the on the English squad. Yeah, um, you know. I think that it's it's a competitive squad. I don't think it's a squad that's a World Cup winner. Yeah, there's there's there are a lot of good names there. Uh, I think myself and everyone are excited to see what happens with Jude Bellingham. Um, sure, he's a great young player, um, and definitely the 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 future of that uh, of that squad. Uh, but I'd also really really like to see uh, some redemption for Marcus Rashford. I think that he is a this is an unpopular opinion, I think, especially among uh, some loyal English fans. But I think that he's a really great person, and I'd, I'd like to see a, I'd like to see a return to form for him. Yeah, 
Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I uh, was uh, surprised to see Jordan Pickford. You know, uh, the, the the lone Everton appearance. Uh, um, you, know. He, you know, it's a shame that he's such a good goalkeeper because I hate everything about him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was... Uh, yeah, you know, obviously he's a he's a good goalkeeper. Um, I still was a little shocked to see him on the list, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, he's uh, he's making an appearance here, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. But uh, I, I agree with you. You know, um, some strong uh, some some strong players on this team, but uh, you know, I'll have to take a look at the other rosters. You know, yeah, totally, totally. Um, you know, and uh, pivoting from you know English football to American football. You know, Alabama now has two losses, and the landscape across college football looks very different. Do you think that Alabama dynasty is over? Do you think we're seeing early indications that the new, you know, NIL structure of college football is creating a more competitive game, one that just has different power teams? Or do you think it's something else entirely? I think it's a combination of both. I mean, I hope so. I hope we're seeing... um, a shift here you know i'm i'm tired of the the nick saban alabama dynasty obviously as most uh, uh people who live outside of alabama unless you're just a jerk and you <laughs> <laughs> just love alabama but uh yeah you know i think for for the most part i i, I, th- I do think I, I think it's higher competition i think that when you get to a certain point as a coach um there's only so much dominance right for yeah. an extended period of time. And I just think that as coaches tend to age, what can you say, right? They become set in their ways. They don't like to adapt. Everyone else is shifting and changing and uh, evolving. And you see a lot of these um, very headstrong coaches who, you know, have won. And uh, a formula that, that works, still not adapting uh, to move forward. And I think it's a combination of both. And, uh, you know... I. I like I like what I see. I'm I'm, I'm happy to see uh, so, some changes here. I know the uh, uh, the college football world is up in arms right now. It's it's fun. Yeah, it is. Um, do you have any predictions for the for the college football playoff this year? You know, I think it's uh, whew, man, it's going to be interesting. This is an interesting uh, top twenty five this year too. You know, there's a there's a couple smaller schools. Uh, you know, like uh, UCF and, and teams that have just popped up out of nowhere. Um, I'm going to hold off on my predictions for now. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, until we I, get a little I think closer. We'll, yeah, when we get a little bit closer, I think, uh, um, you know, I think we'll do a little bit of a rundown on, on one of our episodes because it's going to get interesting here for sure, especially if Alabama continues on the trajectory, um, which is abnormal for them. Uh, yeah. I, I yeah. can't wait to see that top 10. You know, I can't remember the last time they were outside of the top 10. And they're yeah, they're in um, that range. Exactly right. I mean, they're they're sitting ten right now, and uh, you know, yeah. it could uh, it could change. Exactly, exactly. I'm, I'm in the same boat. I I, I think if, if they continue down the same path, that that's really going to shake things up here. So um, uh, a lot of opportunities are going to open up there in the uh, in the bowls. Yeah, let's uh, let's jump into our first story. So, Bo, for our first story today, we're actually joined by a special guest. Presenting that first story is Maddie from the great TikTok and YouTube pages, WNBA Data. Uh, Before we jump in, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your content? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm Maddie from WNBA Data. I've been making a lot of 
shorts or like, yeah, TikToks, posting them on YouTube, um, all about the WNBA. So like, I'm a math PhD student, so I've recently got more into, you know, data analysis somewhat. And it just feels like there's a lack of WNBA or like women's basketball in general, well, like content in general related to that, but like, especially like talking about stats. And I also like to talk about more specific you know, like types of data analysis, like linear regression, you know, it's a little more basic, but even still like teaching people that might not, you know, know that much about it, maybe more Absolutely. WNBA fans. Yeah. I, I stumbled across your TikTok page just it's on my For You page. Um, I really enjoyed it. I thought you did some great deep dives into, into players that aren't, you know, the top of the headlines. Uh, so I thought some more people should, uh, should be exposed to that. So uh, without further ado, Let's jump into it. Yeah, so today I came prepared to talk about one particular WNBA player that I think is pretty underrated. Honestly, I think all of them are underrated, you could argue. Yeah, you know, there's some honorable mentions like Elena Deladon, who's been in the league for maybe like 10 years, and her free throw percentage is 93.7%, like higher than anyone else in the WNBA or NBA history. And... Another honorable mention is Chelsea Gray from the Las Vegas Aces, who like, if you somehow caught like the end of the WNBA finals, um, she was like a really big part of them winning. She's a point guard, but, and she won the finals MVP, but she was not even on the all-star team or yeah, she didn't make the all-star game or anything. So looking back, that's kind of sad that she's even right. underrated within more more than a role player for sure yeah yeah she really carried the team in the finals in my opinion yeah absolutely. but yeah the player that i decided to bring information about today is Alyssa thomas so Alyssa thomas is a player on the connecticut sun she's she just finished her ninth season with the sun have you either of you heard of Alyssa Thomas? Yeah, yes, totally. I have. Oh, okay. Nice. Beautiful. Well, yeah, she's like, she's kind of like, to me, well, to me, I made like a video week series about a player named Gabby Williams from The Storm. And I feel like Alyssa Thomas is kind of like the sun uh, version of Gabby Williams, like a more defensive player who's not. You know, honestly, she does, like, score a lot, but she's not maybe, like, the one that's, like, the sharpshooter on the team or anything like that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so some, like, background about Alyssa Thomas that I learned when preparing about this was, well, she went to the University of Maryland from 2010 to 2014, and that she's the all-time leader there in scoring, rebounding, and double-doubles, like, both men and women's basketball. So that's pretty intense for her. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, I remember her senior season there. Um, I follow a lot of Big Ten basketball specifically because I grew up in the Midwest. Um, and she was kind of lights out there. I think she shot like over 50% as a senior. Uh, just really great stuff. Yeah, you're right. She did. Yeah, and she was like the first player, her junior year, she was the first player in NCAA or WNBA history to average 18 points and 10 rebounds and five assists per game. Wow. So, yeah, that's a lot <laughs> also oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah so she was like basically the university of maryland's best basketball player ever wow. but then she 
in 2014. That would have been she was drafted fourth overall by the New York Liberty, but traded instantly to the Connecticut Sun. So I think that's like one point of maybe maybe her being underrated. Like the Liberty drafted her and she was immediately shipped off. They didn't value Quickly her enough. Move. Sure. Yeah. There's a lot of reasons in addition to that why I think she's underrated. So I think kind of like less statistically, she's like a little bit more like quiet or like more reserved. She's not like one of the players that's like super like, I don't know, active on Instagram. Like some of them are like posting TikTok dances. I mean, yeah, you can do yeah, that and be a good player. Like there's a lot of players that do that, but sure. she's like a little bit more, I don't know, not into that. Yeah, she's just like more quiet in general and that she's also a more defensive player, which is harder to quantify, which is something that I talked about a lot in my Gabby Williams videos. But she's generally just considered one of the more like, one of the toughest players in the WNBA. And there's like multiple reasons for that. So, sure. so like the big reason is that she has like two torn labrums, like both of her shoulders are injured. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't know like, I've yeah. read like there's a reason like why she like hasn't gotten surgery to fix it, but it seems like she doesn't need to. So like even though this injury has like impacted her, like it impacts her game a lot because she can't like move both of her shoulders with like full range of motion like normal. So this like impacts her shooting. Yeah, totally. Just mechanically, that has to be a a big right. detriment to just her normal production. Yeah, for sure, and not. Not that I think like before her injuries, or I think they were in like 2015 and 2017. So I guess like before the first one, like in college, I think she was like a primary scorer um, on the Connecticut Sun, maybe like a little less so. And then definitely after the injuries. But yeah, so like I think that she used to in college shoot left-handed. But now with her like limited range of motion, she somehow like switched to shooting right-handed and not just like right-handed, but she does like kind of a shot put motion. Wow. Definitely. Sounds like uh, Ben Simmons, but good at basketball. <laughs> yeah. But good at <laughs> basketball. Yeah. Well, you know, there was a lot of, there was a bit of coverage of, you know, her, um, obviously a lot of commentators and analysts took notice of her shot just being different in general or off we can say quote unquote this past season mm -hmm. um and then obviously finding out she was playing through a torn labrum but uh yeah definitely had to uh switch up some mechanics a little bit right but uh didn't seem to stop her too much yeah it really hasn't and that's like really impressive just like by itself because she she switched hands that she shot with which is crazy but that she like still You'll still see her like pull up and shoot like mid-range shots, which like when I'm watching it, I'm like, how, how is this like happening? Like, why is nobody defending this? Cause I guess like maybe it's, people think she's going to miss it, but she like does make a lot of shots. And I think this past season on the, on the sun, she was like the second leading scorer on the team. It's not like right. she's just missing all her shots or anything like that. <laughs> Right, and and just to clarify, if anyone doesn't know what a torn labrum is, I mean, essentially your 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 shoulders dislocated, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's 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 essentially kind of what it is in, in a sense, right? Yeah, like, yeah, I'm sure if she could move her shoulders more, she would shoot normally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah just like a waiter. 
well, and playing playing with a torn labrum is, is pretty impressive because we've seen that injury, especially in baseball, um, just in careers, like pretty recently. Um, there is no, at least historically, very little to come back from a surgically repaired labrum. So just being able to adapt and play on that injury is just highly impressive. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it seems like she is just of the mindset that she just has to work through it instead of just like risking, you know, not being able to play. I guess she can play well enough to her standards, which is very good. Like being yeah, a starter, totally. she plays the most minutes on the sun out of anyone. And yeah, when you watch her on the floor, she's she really seems like the one that's like going the hardest. Like she's just kind of everywhere. She's really yeah just stealing the ball long arms <laughs> big yeah, on the defense yeah, <laughs> yeah even with the torn labrums right yeah and there oh yeah and one other thing about like about injuries was that actually actually last season in 2021 i think she was out most of the season with an achilles injury which is like something big to come back from on its own that's like a lot of injuries to deal with for one person yeah absolutely um that's a it's a tough turnaround. How do you think she'll she'll thrive in the new uh, the new system in Connecticut under uh, the new coach there? I don't know. Yeah, I haven't thought much about it. I don't know much about the new coach, but yeah, it is kind of sad to think for her because she has been like specifically on the Sun for like nine seasons in a row. She's been there. Like there was a, a different coach the first couple of years, and then Kurt Miller came in, and they like have made the playoffs like each of the last six years. So, but I think, I think she could be okay. Like if, I know like she's like, unlike a lot of the other players on the WNBA or in the WNBA, she plays overseas and she also played on Team USA. So I'm sure she's like used to working with different coaches and different teams. But yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure she personally will do fine. Definitely. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that team under, uh, under Stephanie White. So yeah. it'll be it'll be interesting to watch uh, what happens with that team. Yeah, it will. Yeah, it's like interesting to like look back at the the Suns like history with the playoffs and like you know under Kurt Miller they seemingly like got better and better. It's like interesting that like the solution is to get a new coach, but I guess yeah. it makes sense. Like at some point you need to try something else. But yeah, yeah, Sad. yeah. I think just kind of across all sports, um, when those kind of consistent dynasties uh, uh, come to be, eventually you've got to you got to move on to the next uh, the next coach. Um, there's nothing worse than sticking with the same coach so long that uh, you don't adapt and, and kind of you know continue to get better. Yeah, we see that a lot. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think that's what I had to say about Alyssa Thomas. You know, not. Not too much data, not too much stats. <laughs> For sure. But yeah, she's like basically the toughest player. She's always going really hard. And despite her injuries, she still like leads her team in minutes and almost leads her team in points on a very successful team. Definitely. Playing through a labrum tear and then also uh, the first triple-double ever recorded in WNBA history, right? Yeah, I think in finals history, and, and yeah, she did it two games in a row this past finals. I mean, that's no easy feat, especially, you know, coming back from, you know, several injuries, 
you know, in, in her fairly young career. You know, we're talking less than a decade here, right? Um, <laughs> so, you know, and it's 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 a lot to uh, try to overcome. You know, especially when you're talking about mechanics, form, and uh, you know, over on the flip side, on the NBA, you don't see a lot of players that'll even set foot on the court after uh, you know when there's an injury. There's, uh, I think there's a lot of money involved there, and those guys, you know, just won't even attempt to get out on the court. And and here you have an athlete who is just still um, just dominating, you know, uh, through injuries. Yeah, is that maybe to say if she was paid more, maybe she would not <laughs> play injured? <laughs> Hopefully, we'll find out, right, for the WNBA. Uh, what do you think, Maddie? You think um, uh, popularity-wise, the WNBA is getting more coverage now than they ever have? Yeah, that's what I've been hearing. Or like, especially my girlfriend's on Twitter a lot. She like tells me about posts. People say that like the social media engagement or like social media related stuff for the WNBA is like on the up, of course and especially Las Vegas Aces have a great social media presence specifically <laughs> I've heard yeah yeah definitely I, I think because of the careers of obviously you know Sue Bird uh, closing the chapter on a storied career um, you know, most possibly one of the top three basketball players in Seattle history, right? You know, um, up there with names like Gary Payton and things like that. But also on the flip side, uh, you know, more of a, you know, negative story, obviously the whole Brittany Griner situation, you know, and, and, and what she's having to suffer through, you know, currently. So um, it's getting a lot of, you know, media coverage for sure. Yeah. And I like to contribute positively to the you know, I'm not like a big media outlet, but yeah, I like to just put more like positive things about the WNBA out there. That's partially why I started my account, WNBA Data. Yeah, totally. And, you know, we've had some conversations on, on this podcast before about kind of similar players to Alyssa Thomas um, and, and, and that there's, you know, not a lot of recognition given to the, to the players that kind of just grind. Um, and as you touched upon, um, the data backing up how productive a player is on defense isn't the most advanced there's not a, a good metric to show you know if a player you know just presence on defense contributes that much uh but uh you know as we've talked about time and time again um those players are among the most underrated in the league and uh you know Alyssa thomas definitely checks that box for us yeah yeah it's way easier to quantify like when something does happen like when a shot is made as opposed to like a player pre preventing something from happening yeah yeah um well again you know we enjoyed talking with you today thanks for coming on uh we do love your page uh wnba data um do you want to give us your handles yeah right now i'm at wnba data or data yeah just eight letters on tiktok and now YouTube has handles, so it's also WNBA data on YouTube. Right now, I've just been like posting my TikToks as shorts on YouTube, but I do hope to like make some actual YouTube videos not too far from now. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, if you haven't already, definitely check out those pages. Um, really great stuff. And thank you again for, for coming on and chatting with us. Thanks for having me.
glad, yeah, glad I could be here. You bet. Check it out. All right, Bo. So, you know, as we're on the theme of women's basketball mm-hmm. and the NCAA basketball season just kicked off this week, I want to spend some time talking about one of the greatest players in NCAA women's history. All right. You know, before the recent dynasty of, you know, UConn or, you know, earlier Tennessee tournament wins, Louisiana was the home to some of the best and most competitive college women's basketball, you know, in the country. Yes. You know, Louisiana Tech was one of the early powerhouses of the tournament era. And, uh, you know, LSU has been a fixture, uh, especially under Sue Gunter, you know, a few years back. But, uh, you know, Louisiana was definitely a a powerhouse state for college basketball. For sure. You know, you've got, you know, uh, players like Simone Augustus. You've you've got your Sylvia Foles, uh, athletes like that. I mean, really, really good athletes. Tamika Johnson, um, you know. Just some memorable names. Those are three players out of the history there, but awesome. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You know, during Louisiana Tech's meteoric rise in the early 1980s, on the other side of the state, a player at the University of New Orleans was having such a prolific career that even in the modern game, few have been able to replicate her production. Today, I want to talk about Sandra Hodge. Sandra Hodge. Very cool. University of New Orleans. The, you don't hear that too often, right? Not a lot. No, not a, not a, not a super common sports school. But uh, you know, definitely. We're gonna we're gonna jump down that rabbit hole now. You know, Hodge isn't a name on a ton of radars, especially when it comes to the names of the top NCAA basketball players of all time. You know, because much like many of the athletes we talk about, she landed in a bad era. It was a bad era for women's college basketball and women's basketball to begin with. You know, sure. to contextualize, the NCAA tournament had only only existed for two of her four college years. Um, you know, women's basketball as an Olympic sport was relatively new. When she started college, the U.S. had, uh, you know, withdrawn from the, the last Olympics there in Russia. Sure. Um, and the domestic opportunities to play professional basketball were, you know, frankly, underdeveloped. Uh, but none of that prevented Hodge from having an incredibly productive and uh, interesting basketball career. Yeah. You know, so after a productive high school basketball career that score, saw her score more than 1,500 points in three seasons, Hodge joins the, the New Orleans Buckettes. Um, Buckettes. They're, they're, no, they're no longer called that, but uh, uh, she, she joined the Buckettes in 1980. I like that. Yeah, with... <laughs> with New Orleans, she led the team to four consecutive 21 seasons. Uh, for her first two seasons on campus, the NCAA didn't officially sponsor women's basketball as a sport. Um, and they didn't, like I said, they didn't sponsor it until after her sophomore season, at which point New Orleans officially became, you know, a Division One independent school right. in, in yeah. women's basketball. Right. Um, so that, that being said, because it wasn't a, a, an official, you know, sponsored sport, some of the early statistics prior to prior to that sponsorship are incomplete and are not actually counted by, by the NCAA um, because they weren't officially kept by them. Oh. Uh, just, just a little caveat there. Sure. Um, so despite going 20 and 8 during their first year of eligibility for the NCAA tournament, um, New Orleans was left out of that tournament and uh, only invited to the NIT. At that time, the NCAA tournament only 
was 32 teams, and the NIT tournament was just eight. Wow. Um, you know. We're going way back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In the NIT following that 82-83 season, Hodge absolutely dominated. The official statistics are, are a little hard to come by, but she led New Orleans to a championship in that tournament and was named the tournament MVP. Wow. You know, so despite a better record in her senior season, Hodge in New Orleans uh, missed out on any postseason tournament action. No NCAA tournament invitation, no NIT tournament invitation. Um, you know, uh, just just unfortunate there. And like I said, the NCAA didn't officially begin keeping records for women's basketball until the 81-82 season. So the picture of Hodges' NCAA career um, is a little incomplete, but nonetheless, her numbers are absolutely incredible. Right. There is some disagreement in terms to her actual numbers, but uh, Hodge scored at least 2,800 points right. on 1,179 field goals. Oof. Racked up 948 rebounds, as well as 239 steals in college, while only playing in 107 games. That's crazy. All told, she averaged an incredible 26.7 points per game, nearly nine rebounds per game, and more than two steals per game. That scoring average of nearly 27 points per game is still good for second all-time among women in NCAA history. Yeah. You know, and th- those points totals and scoring averages are even more impressive when you consider that the three-point line did not exist during her college career. Yeah, that is nuts. Wow. That's nuts. Yeah, that that kind of production while only taking two-point shots um, just can't be replicated and there's sure. a reason there's a reason it hasn't been um you know even even the 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 one player that has has kind of beat her scoring average uh patricia hoskins from mississippi valley state mm-hmm. um still got a season of three-point shots so right um I, I i'd have to think that that contributed to her higher well absolutely you know, scoring I, average. I, I would agree with that 100 percent um so you know just just incredible collegiate production there sure so after graduation hodge was actually drafted by the atlanta comets um but she didn't make the make the roster and that uh that that league didn't stick around for all that long it was the mid 80s after all sure um so um but she went instead and played professionally in both spain and sweden for the next two seasons so uh she then returned to the united states in 1985, where she was invited to try out for the Harlem Globetrotters. Oh, yeah. She didn't make that team in 1985, but just two years later in 1987, uh, she joined fellow Louisiana college standout Joyce Walker Mm -hmm. um, as only the third and fourth women to join the Harlem Globetrotters. Um, That's that's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. When there weren't many opportunities for women to play professionally, she created an opportunity. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, so she ended up playing there uh, for six seasons and played in over 300 games with the Globetrotters. Love that. I love that. She retired from playing in 1993 for the first time, tried to make a a brief comeback and restart her career in 1997 when she was drafted into the ABL. But uh, that kind of comeback stint ended with a hamstring injury in camp uh, where she kind of wrapped it up for good. It's pretty difficult to come back after, you know, four years off from the game pretty old in of terms course. of professional athletes uh yeah. but she gave it a good shot um 
You know, so ultimately, Hodge had one of the most productive college careers during a time of tumult in, you know, the college women's basketball landscape. And she trailblazed an eight-year professional career during a time when paid basketball opportunities for women were, you know, few and far between. So that, that brings us to the question. Do you think Sandra Hodge is underrated? Oh, yeah. Uh, for sure. I think, uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, the rough path for women's basketball players, you know, in, in another episode, uh, Yolanda Griffith, uh, you know, a story I covered in one of our earlier episodes and how tough and far and few between opportunities, you know, um, how those didn't come along so often. Not only that, these leagues evaporated. They evaporated, they came back, um, they stopped, they were here, they were gone. But like, let's just talk about statistics, right? First of all, uh, scoring almost 2,900 points in 107 games, that is unbelievable, okay? And 100 or 820 points alone in the 82-83 season, that's, I mean, obviously that was a record, but I mean, still an incredible, absurd number. And I know that record stood... St- you know, for quite a while, if it's still not standing today, but uh, we're talking about, you know, three decades on now, right? Yeah, um, yeah. We just discussed, to your point, the non-existence of the three-point line, right? So I, I, I think, you know, with her uh, career points now being, you know, what, in the, the around 30th or somewhere now, I, I, I think, you know, that is a huge factor, as you touched on as well. But, uh, you know, I think for a lot of women basketball players, uh, you know, her jersey was retired. She's she's inducted into the University of New Orleans Hall of Fame. She's uh, been appreciated there. But on a bigger scale, uh, I think her collegiate performance is absolutely underappreciated and not talked about hardly at all you know and uh, uh I, w- I would love to get uh you know our our today's uh show guest maddie's opinion on uh you know an old school player like this and that type of performance and uh maybe uh pull some analytics into it and see what we could come up with as far as uh if the three-point line was in, in existence at that time yeah you know it's hard to say you know because because the statistics of the of that era are so few and far between sure um you know i I don't know how much could be done with that you know you're you're really pulling it grassman straws when it comes to to predictions right not Uh, even not even predictions just what the what the statistics are to begin with Um, right right um there's disagreement uh you know between uh sources about just how how many you know points she had um it's hard it's really it's really unfortunate you know like many of the athletes we talk about that she played in an era when recognition was so low um and that they never were awarded uh an ncaa tournament appearance obviously they dominated in that uh, nit and i think that uh if given the shot if they were you know given a shot in the in the in the 32 in the ncaa tournament that year um you know things could have been different um that was a strong team that definitely could have gone on a deep run and maybe more people would remember Sandra Hodge and appreciate the career she had if she had that postseason success in a, in a more visible way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, listen, uh, having a career 
uh, uh, not holding on, uh, not having an opportunity to play in her home country, uh, creating a career for herself over in Europe. But not only that, coming back and yes, there were few opportunities professionally for for women basketball players, but to literally become one of the first four women to join the Harlem Globetrotters, that is a huge feat, okay? That's not just some accomplishment. And to have a, a career that spanned over 300 games on top of that, you know, that is what you call breaking a barrier, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, that is, there's no more true statement than that. That is absolutely breaking a barrier. And to me, um, that, aside from the statistics and everything, is at the top of the list as far as accomplishments in her career. You know, especially with the storied history, male-dominated, for her to come in and carve out a spot and give them no other choice but to say, wow, we need to have you here. Outstanding, right? A completely underappreciated athlete, you know, as we, we see so often these days. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, like, even being snubbed for the – and I'm assuming it's a snub. There's not a lot written about it. But, uh, you know, she, she was at peak form in 1984, graduating, coming off her highest-scoring season, yeah. um, you know, at New Orleans, but wasn't selected to the to the 84 Olympic roster. Um, and I think that that recognition, you know, also played a part in, in, in you know, in just the way that people think about her. You know? Definitely. You know, you think about Lynette Woodard, um, who also, you know, was the first woman to play for the Harlem Globetrotters, you know, yeah. was, name, was named to that 84 roster. Right. And obviously she was able to come back uh, later in her career the same way that uh, the same way that Hodge tried to um, and play in the WNBA for, for two seasons. Sure. Uh, but, you know, she's a member of the, of the Naismith Hall of Fame, uh, Woodard. Um, and, you know, I think that that same recognition should be given to, given to Hodge. Um, but uh, definitely, yeah, I, I don't make the I don't make the rules. We're not right. The I, I hope that the uh, you know um, the women's American basketball, the you know WABA and the uh, the ABL can look back and uh, you know I'd like to see who was on that uh, uh, eighty four Atlanta Comets roster and and compared them to you know uh, see longevity wise how they they stood up compared to. Uh, you know Sandra Hodges' uh, career in itself. You know, so uh, that would be interesting to take a look at. But no, definitely, both agree. I mean, um, she was legitimately a globe trotter. You know, her career in Europe, uh, South America, and coming back. You know, it's uh, pretty yeah. outstanding, man. Yeah, definitely, uh, and and definitely, you know, someone to think back about as we as we watch NCAA basketball this year. For sure, um, we'll do. Yeah, totally. You know, so. As we talked about, there's a, there's a lot going on in the world. We we chatted about uh, the World Cup earlier, so let's let's circle back there real quick. Um, you know, we all know the the numerous human rights issues going on in Qatar. Yeah. Uh, headlined by the deaths of an estimated, you know, six thousand five hundred migrant workers just since the World Cup was awarded to Qatar. Right. Uh, their, right. Their mm-hmm. their long persecution of the LGBTQ community. Yeah. Um, and their poor record on women's rights. Um, you know, many clubs and players have spoken out about the host nation and FIFA's decision to award such a lucrative competition to a nation like Qatar. Um, but, you know, FIFA has also rejected protest efforts by teams. 
you know, in the news today, uh, FIFA rejected the proposed Danish jersey design for the World Cup, which contained a, a muted logo. I'm not sure if you've seen this. No, um, I have not. So they were they were jerseys in which the 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 club crest, the the national crest, and the and the sponsor crest um, were essentially the same color as the jersey themselves to to kind of you know remove them from the from the competition so to speak sure um you know in the in the bundesliga fans have called for the absolute boycott of of the qatar world cup altogether um imploring fans not to even watch it and that kind of leads me to my question do you think there's an ethical way to watch the world cup participate as a fan you know it's a tough topic right lefty but I want to call something into attention that not many people really maybe they have heard or maybe they 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 have seen have uh, have you seen the uh, host venue for the upcoming uh, um, FIFA World Cup in Qatar you mean like any of the stadiums yeah have, have you seen the 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 new 40,000 seat Al Wakra Stadium that was designed by female architect Zaha Hadid? Um, I have, I have. Right. So, obviously, we were just touching on human rights, and we we're talking about women's rights specifically. But a female architect is behind the design of this stadium, and what has come into, uh, you know the eyes of a lot of folks is the actual look of the stadium which is being compared to female genitalia yeah and i i have seen interviews from hadid who's an iraqi born architect and she's been facing a lot of criticism but i gotta say i think this is bad ass i think that this is like the ultimate middle finger and i don't think that there's you know any better way to combat what's happening over there and their view of you know women's rights than to build a stadium that looks like female genitalia and we're going to you know host games in this and it's going to be all over globally promoted everywhere a woman designed it um we're you know i i I, I just love everything about this. So, you know, to answer your question, if I'm watching games in that stadium, hell yeah. I, I, I think I, I think it's a big, uh, like I said, uh, F you to, uh, you know, everything that's going on over there. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's difficult, right? I mean, it's one thing that the, the stadium design, you know, is provocative in that way, but but how many people died to build that stadium? It, well, now, yeah, true. When, Absolutely. When you're, look, when you're looking at thousands of people who who have died from you know needlessly unsafe conditions, um, it, it's it it really takes a takes the the shine off of things, so to speak. It's it, it really is tough, right? You know, we've we've had discussions. Uh, I mean, we've talked about uh, uh, we've even talked about you know. Um, Newcastle, right? And, yeah, um, yeah. you know, the the Saudi-owned and Saudi-backed uh, team that, uh, you know, now is on the surface in full support of the, you know, uh, LGBTQ. Um, 
and you know women's rights and all these other things but in reality we understand that the truth to it is is it's that's not how it is right i mean yeah. it, this is not the way that it is and um you know when talking about you know social issues like we were talking about and you know especially uh you know on, on the women's side and the just blatant disrespect for any sort of rights it, it listen it's really really tough man and uh you know it's going to be difficult especially when that's top of mind and i i think it's something that needs to be discussed and addressed and i i just don't know who's going to take that on right yeah yeah well and it's difficult right you, you'll get a lot of fans saying things like leave the politics out of soccer leave the politics out of football but i think that ignores the the history of the game as well and, sure and that and that events have always been historically political um you know always for, for a very long time fans have always been overtly political in their support of clubs um on on you know all sides of the spectrum uh definitely so i think if anything we need to make sure we don't shy away from those conversations yeah absolutely and i think we've learned here especially in recent years and in 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 the world today when there is a large amount of pressure people can't turn and walk away anymore right so the questions are going to be there if the questions and the pressure are there it's basically saying okay what can you do to show us you know uh that this is not what we think it is right and uh you know who knows how what that would lead to but you know oh, there's a lot of money involved here and uh there's a lot of people like you said you know who are going to see it from different angles so yeah um definitely definitely tough definitely tough i agree yeah and, and i think like even outside of all of the the blatant human rights abuses that i, I think are not really up for debate they exist like, sure right um i think that it ought to just be a really bad fan experience to go to qatar <laughs> yeah you know I, I i can uh i can agree with that uh i, I feel the same way it, it seems like just a um, weird sort of, uh, you know, universe to be in, right? With everything just being <laughs> so just surface and, you know, everything is just... Is there anything that's natural there? Like, I... <laughs> I don't think so. Well, and I don't know if you've heard any of the restrictions. Like, there was news last week in which, you know, Mexican fans attending won't be able to wear their, you know, wrestling masks. They'll be confiscated. Um, there's no alcohol at the at the games or well, that was uh, that was what I was going to bring up next because of their strict views on alcohol in itself. You know what was going to happen as far as that goes. What what is the story behind the uh, the uh, the Le the lucha libre masks? What's what's you know I I didn't I I not uh, just another odd you know uh, but an odd uh, just ban yeah. on something that they yeah they, okay. yeah it was just something that i read two weeks ago that uh you know it was, in, it was just something that they were gonna enforce sure exactly well i'm sure we're gonna see a lot of this and i'm sure as we um i mean we are obviously close to it but i'm sure more is going to come out and especially once the events start happening we're there's going to be a lot of noise right so I, yeah. I don't think people attending are just going to be well, keep the politics out of it. Uh, you, people are going to well, complain. Things are going to happen. 
I don't know. I, I, I think that for the audience that is able to attend these games um, at the exorbitant prices that they are in a place so far away, right? Yeah. Um, that is not centrally located for fans. Um, I, I don't know how how much pushback there'll be, especially in a in a government that that has the ability to crack down. Um, it's, you know, it, it's like it's like Levi's Stadium in uh, where the 49ers play. Yeah. So far out there, it's <laughs> isolated and it's just in a no man's land. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, Qatar is not a it's not an easy track from Europe. Uh, right. It's not it's right. A, not an easy track from North America. Um, so, you know, it, it'll probably limit a number of a number of fans from attending, and the the insane prices of you know lodging tickets, all of that will kind of further limit things. Um, right. And you know what? I honestly think too. I think it's a lot of, uh, I think it's generational, right? On who is going to look at it in what way, right? You know, yeah. the younger generation of folks are, this is going to be top of mind, which it should be. And I think for, you know, people more so in my age group or a little bit older, you know, tend to turn a blind eye a lot of times and just say, oh, hell with it, right? Let's get on with it and let's do this. Um, that's just historically, you know, how things just continue to happen. And, um, you know, I, I agree with you. I, I think whoever's able to attend is probably not going to care whatsoever about the majority of that and just want to be there. Um, but, uh, you know, it, like I said, we'll, we'll keep our eyes out and it, 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 it'll be interesting to see what comes of this and just, you know, what, what, what sort of atmosphere is this going to be like over there? Yeah, yeah, and you know we'll we'll definitely talk about it again as the as the World Cup is happening and uh, yeah you know, before it officially kicks off, we'll probably get some predictions. Implore you to you know illegally stream the game so nobody gets your money. Um, that's right. <laughs> uh, hypothetically, um, that said, I also wanted to touch upon uh, you know NCAA basketball. We briefly touched upon it. I mentioned that it you're winding up this week. Uh, do you have any predictions for the season? Is there anybody you're excited to watch, you know, get a better look at? My alma mater, the <laughs> University of Houston, right? We're talking about a top five team in the uh, in, in the country, supposedly, is what we're saying here. Uh, I, I think there'll be a there'll, there'll be a strong finish, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm looking forward to see what they do. Uh, I know you had your eyes on uh, uh, some 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 you know some of your alma maters. Uh, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. my my alma mater is, is in the is in the toilet. It's a historically weak time uh, for for my school, Bucknell. Uh, we're not a not a strong program at the minute. Um, I've I've tried to theorize uh, about some players, and I don't know if that's going to come to fruition. But we'll talk about it again if, if it's sure. Does. Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, I think um, I think uh, if we're just talking top five. I, I'm, I'm going to go with, you know, uh, I, I think Houston and Baylor. Uh, I think Zag is up there. And I think a, a surprise team that, that may creep up is is Creighton. Um, yeah. If you've read anything about preseason rankings, uh, I would love to see Creighton screw up some people's seasons here, but they're going to be in the mix. Unless they completely fall apart, I think they're going to be in the uh, in the mix. Um, Arizona is usually always a elite eight favorite of mine, but I don't think 
um, they finish as highly ranked as they have in recent years. I think they kind of dropped down a little bit. Um, San Diego State's another team. They got some good talent. Yeah, San Diego State is a, is a team I wanted to touch on. I think that, uh, you know, they could be the uh, another, another you know, deep threat in the tournament uh, when it For comes sure. to, to not Power 5 schools. Speaking Definitely. of... Uh, you, you touched upon Arizona, but I wanted to I wanted to talk about Arizona State for a second. Just oh. a random happening. Did you see their game on the Monday? They played Tarleton Tarleton State. <laughs> no, they, I did they, not. They only beat Tarleton State by three points. Oh man! Which is which? You know, you'd think it's a tough loss, but do you know who the coach of Tarleton State is? Do you know who's returning uh, to to college? coaching and um is looking to have some success there as they build their you know division one chops no billy gillespie oh my goodness <laughs> it's, a, it's a deep uh, cut right that that is a, i mean where the hell has he been right tarleton oh state <laughs> yeah yeah exactly oh that's pretty wild yeah i think um you know i i think that uh the San Diego State has got some, some, some great players on that team, and I think I think they're going to creep up, and you know, I would say at least in the top fifteen. Okay, that's that's going to be my prediction there. But you've also got some other random schools that are on the cusp here. I think um, Dayton has a good shot at well, competing. Well, they're, they're beginning in the top twenty-five, right? Are they? I believe so. I could gotcha. be wrong. I thought gotcha. they started the season out there. Yeah, they're twenty fourth yeah. currently. Right. Um, you know, depending on how their schedule is and whatnot. Um, the Slew Billikins. I I think the Billikins finally here actually have a good squad. Um, and you know, just a, another local school to me, Xavier. Xavier also, I think, um, really um, has a decent you know team. Uh, that they, I think they can put it together. Really. Um, you know, going so kind of circling back to Creighton, I think more so if you take a look at that schedule that they have, um, you know, there's only uh, probably you know less than a handful of really probably tough matchups that I don't think they might be able to pull off. But uh, you do have, you know, again your Xavier's, uh, your Arizona States, you know your <laughs> your Butlers, but you, you know you've got. You know, a couple teams in there. You've got uh, Georgetown, who finally broke their losing streak here uh, the other the other day. Finally, yeah. uh, so you've got the uh, the Hoyas actually um, winning for once. I read that they it had been three hundred and eighty something days since they had won their last game. Believe that's, it or not, that's uh, can that's you can you believe a, that in Georgetown basketball history? Yeah, yeah, that's um, that's Patrick Ewing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so speaking of you know former Big East powerhouses, you think Connecticut is is back? You think they're back? I think they're back to being good, um, and you know, for I think they're back to being good and uh, uh, a, a decent program. Uh, I I don't know where they'll end up. Uh, you know, as I can't really put my finger on where they're going to end up as far as the the season goes, I don't really have a prediction on them. But <laughs> I just saw that they were—I think they were 25th in in Kim Palm ratings. Oh, really? 
Yeah. yeah, yeah. I um, I'm even shocked to hear that. To be honest with you, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's uh, they've 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 had a rough few years, right? Um, yeah, but yeah. you know, I I I think that uh, you know, I think they're back to actually building up and having a decent program, which is uh, a good change for them for sure. Yeah, totally. Do you have any uh, predictions on the uh, women's side of the game? You know what? I haven't even seen the polls for uh, the uh, the women's side. Um, that's a good uh, topic of conversation, actually. What uh, What are your thoughts? You know the uh, you know South Carolina. Uh, you know they've been pretty good for the last couple of years, and uh, you know they can continue that uh, stretch. I think that obviously the historical you know powerhouse of UConn is always a favorite. Sure, um, sure. You know. Iowa has a really strong team and yeah. uh, should win the should win the Big Ten. Um, so that's another team to keep an eye on. They've got some great players there. Um, Definitely. I saw some I saw some interesting news today actually on the recruiting side of things in, in women's basketball. Um, you know, it, it's International Signing Day or National Signing Day, I believe, today or yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, UConn just signed uh, a, you know a forward from. From Egypt, wow. which is is you know not a not a country historically tied to sure, you know to basketball. Uh, yeah. So I think that'll be interesting. That's a player I, uh, you know, keep an eye on next season when she comes to UConn. Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely John, a good call. Yeah, Jana L. Alfie, somebody to keep an eye on. Um, you know, I believe that. I mean, if she's as good as you know, if you if you think about historic UConn recruits, you know, they recruit players that, you know. RWNBA quality. Sure. Um, yeah. So she'll definitely be one of, the, probably one of the first ever Egyptian players um, in the NCAA basketball world, but she'd definitely be the first Egyptian and probably Arabic in general player in the WNBA. Right. Well, you know, we talked about Creighton, obviously. Um, not sure where they're ranked on any of the polls, but obviously, you know, the, the women's side has an outstanding basketball program as well. Yeah, um, yeah. I know LSU is going to be in that mix. Uh, they've got, as you've just talked about, in uh, the Sandra Hodge story, Louisiana always has a plethora of outstanding women's basketball players. Uh, but I wanted to ask you, man, uh, you know, no Purdue, but you've got a plethora of local schools from, uh, you know, your old stomping grounds that, that have to yeah. be in the mix. The Notre Dames, the Indianas, uh, you know, hell, even even I, uh, no, that's got to be on the men's side, the Illini. But, uh, yeah, wait, what's up, man? There's uh, there's a lot happening out that way. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the historic, uh, it's the, it's the, uh, the, the fertile land of basketball, of course. <laughs> um you know, I wanted to touch upon, you mentioned LSU, um, basketball, mm-hmm. women's basketball. Um, you know, we talk about, I talked about the the historic Louisiana. You know, their coach, Kim Mulkey, was, a, you know, kind of a legend at, at uh, Louisiana Tech. Came back to LSU in 2021 as a coach. Uh, just kind of, kind of, kind of keeping with the, uh, you know, she, she played at Louisiana Tech the same years that, you know, Sandra Hodge played New Orleans. Right. Um, so, so just some more Louisiana overlap there. Definitely. You know, I uh, obviously um, LSU stood out. Um, I read an article the, uh, you know, a couple of days ago, I want to say. But uh, yeah, they, they had one of the top recruiting classes in, in women's basketball in the country. Right. So, 
you know, it, it'll be uh, pretty exciting to, to see, you know, what they put together. They, uh, they have a, a forward, uh, Angel Reese. She's a forward for the LSU Tigers, and she is an absolute beast. Um, going to yeah, be totally. a fun player to watch yeah, definitely uh, this season for sure, on. man. Yeah, you know, I think that's going to be all for us today. Uh, make sure to check out WNBA Data on TikTok and YouTube, both at WNBA Data. You can listen to this episode and every episode wherever podcasts can be found, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter while Twitter still exists at <laughs> underrated podcast. That's under <laughs> underscore rated underscore pod. You can follow us on TikTok at underrated pod. You can follow us on YouTube at underrated pod. Check us out. Another great show. It was awesome. Uh, thanks again to uh, to our to our guest who uh, who came came on. Yeah. Thanks again to Maddie from WNBA Data. And again, make sure you check out her pages uh, if you haven't already. For sure. Thank <laughs> you.